Hello and welcome to episode number 301 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. I realized why I couldn't hear anything. Why? Because I have headphones plugged into the computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why is it so quiet? I don't get it. <laughs> Looks loud. You, 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 you know I be, I be in the, be in the town all day. I be, I be in the, be in the S-E-A. You, you know I be, I be in the, be in the town all day. I be, I be in the, be in the S-E-A. Hello and welcome to episode 301 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Whew. Okay. <laughs> there have been, there's been one more Super Bowl played than the last time we've recorded this oh, podcast. Boy. Well, welcome to, to the post-episode 300 world. I hope that everybody enjoyed the best of, worst of, uh, just of. Pelton cast 201 to 300 that came out last week. And let me just tell you, it's not going to get any better from here. No, no, absolutely not. I got to tell you, though, I did have a thought. What was that? Well, I was listening to the other one. I think Pelton cast scholars may regard like the 250 to 300 range as perhaps the most classic Pelton cast. (laughs) Just... I feel like this. Is Peltoncast Scholars you? It's me. I'm Peltoncast <laughs> no, Scholars. At, at Pelton Quotes. Because there was a Pelton Quotes during the time period? Or are you just That, like that actually really, could be a part of really it. really hit our stride in Peltoncast 250 to 300? I mean, the the whole, like, the UW football year as condensed into the best of going from this you saying... This UW football year? But, like, going from you saying after week one that the program is broken... And being correct, uh-huh. the fact that we were following Jake Hayner in Fresno oh, State yeah. all season, yeah. and then we hired Fresno State's head coach—that was pretty impressive. If we would have, if we would have gotten Hayner, then the UW, then the Pelton Cast scholars could have really inaugurated it—the oh, absolutely. greatest fifty-episode arc of Pelton Cast history. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe in podcast history, it'd be like stuff you should know. One thirty-two to one thirty-eight was pretty impressive. <laughs> And then also the Pelton cast, 250 to 300. <laughs> I feel like we're pretty low on that list. Hardcore history is uh-huh. like way up at the top. We're, we're very far at the bottom of the that daily. List. They're like, oh, the, the daily, January 15th, 2018 through February 4th. <laughs> <laughs> Many are considering that the greatest stretch in podcast history. Again, I said Pelton cast okay. history. I never said You're not putting anything us in the pantheon just yet. about podcast history. So, anyways, hope you enjoyed that. The and time, yes, when, it's all the time down... when Nate Duncan flipped exclusively to COVID content. <laughs> That's what we're competing with. Nate Duncan talking about COVID numbers. It was quite informative and timely in its Cap day. Space. Now that, that very feed oh. has become the Arguing About Food podcast, which wow. gets a shout out of this pod somehow every week. <laughs> It's become the new JJ Reddick podcast. Well, also, <laughs> we miss you, JH. Also, I love that the COVID feed turned into the arguing yeah, about yeah. food feed. Yeah, it's a natural transition. That's the history of America right there. Some are saying oh, the greatest no. stretch in American history. Oh, many are not saying that. Well, anyway, sorry to disappoint you. We are still here at episode 301. Still arguing about the same stupid this, things. This feed continues to be the Pelton cast feed. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe we'll you morph. have not reached Nate Duncan and his sister arguing about food. Uh, maybe we'll morph the Trader Bros feed into something else. <laughs> I don't know if anyone still subscribed to that one. <laughs> oh. oh my god! Uh, I we... would love if we if we made it the COVID podcast feed <laughs> and just left the logo the same. It <laughs> uh, was one classic episode. Oh lord! Should we talk about our bear? Uh, sure. So just to be forewarned before we get into this, you do know that where this beer is from, right? Oh my god! It's from Oregon. Oregon. <laughs> Oh, it's the... Uh, is this the sponsor of the Kraken? With no. The other sponsor of the Kraken? This no is the, the official the pale ale of the Kraken? No, no affiliation with Double Mountain Brewery and their vaporizer pale ale. I gotta tell you. So I was in Beer Star the other day. Yes. As I was picking up Little Woody's, mm-hmm. their weekly special last week. And uh, I was thinking to myself, this is the worst time of year for beer. Really? Yeah. Oh. Like, there's there's interesting, like, summer seasonals are obviously great. Uh-huh. Then you get fresh hop season, which is the best. Mm-hmm. There's pumpkin beers that are interesting to drink. Then you get into the holiday season and you're ready for, you know, a nice stout or a porter or something like that. And then the calendar f- turns to January and you're like, I don't want to be thinking about holiday-themed beers. And it's too early, really, for spring beers. And there's not really that many interesting spring seasonals anyway. So I feel like... and. And Zach Jubal can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here. I feel like we're in a bit of a beer trough at the beginning of the year. That's how okay. I feel. So I wasn't very inspired as I was looking through the options at Beer Star, especially trying to drink something besides an IPA, as you have requested to drink fewer of on this podcast. Did I specifically request that? You did. Wow. Shouts to me. And I finally took that advice this week. There we go. Uh, so a little bit about this beer. Uh, Challenger Hops Pilsner Malt and our house yeast strain are the headliners in this easy pale. The result is agile, alluringly herbal, and supremely refreshing. The dry hop really makes this one sing. I can't wait to try the dry hop. <laughs> We've had the cold hop. Now we'll have the dry hop. Our first toast this week, two longtime Sonics coach and executive Lenny Wilkins, who was named one of the NBA's 15 greatest coaches ever in conjunction with the league's 75th anniversary. Lenny, the only person, I think he's the only person, I guess I should double check this, I think he's the only person, though, among the 75 greatest players, which he also played for the Sonics, and 15 greatest coaches. Wow. Pretty amazing dual career for Lenny Wilkins. Uh, Casey Jones, who briefly coached the Sonics in the 1990s after winning two championships with the Celtics in the 80s, was the other former Sonics coach on the top 15 list. Casey Jones was one of the 15 greatest coaches of all time. Definitely indexed pretty heavily to coaches who happened to be involved with some dynastic champion teams, I would say. What was he was with the Celtics? Yeah, as opposed to kind of the long-tenured coaches, your Bill Fitches, who were higher, and Dick Mottas, who were higher on the all-time wins list, but didn't have as many championships. Although Fitch did win a championship with the uh, the Celtics before Casey Jones took over. All right, next up to uh, former Kraken pro scout Cami Granato, who continued her second trailblazing career by becoming the third woman named in an NHL assistant GM with the Vancouver Canucks last week. When the Kraken hired Granato, she was the first woman to serve in a pro scouting role in the NHL. Uh, Granato has continued to live in Vancouver, making an expanded role with the Canucks a natural fit. Wow. So, That's a pretty quick her. promotion. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's definitely uh, in, in overdue in many ways. And then also, 
sticking to the Kraken theme here. We're not going to talk a lot, I think, about the Kraken during the roundup, but uh, they get a couple of toasts here to Kraken broadcasters. Everett Fitzhugh and JT Brown, who will make history on Thursday, is the first pair of black broadcasters to work an NHL game together when Fitzhugh slides over from the radio booth to fill in for John Forsland on the TV broadcast alongside Brown. There we go. So uh, a really nice feature about that last week from uh, third Pelton brother Ryan S. Clark on The Athletic Seattle. So be sure to check that out if you haven't. It is nice to know that the Kraken are doing something right. Aside from having the official beer be from Oregon or whatever, like there are places that the Kraken are doing things correctly. Absolutely. And just not the games. <laughs> uh, not so much. Not so much. Uh, that's it for the toast. Do we want to get into Coach's Corner? Right off the bat, Coach's Corner? I, unless you want to talk a Super Bowl first. Let's talk Super Bowl first. Okay. Matthew Stafford. Oh, God. Super Bowl champion. How much of your unhappiness about this is that the Rams won vis-a-vis just knowing that I was the slightest bit correct about this debate? You weren't correct about this debate. Oh, I wasn't the slightest bit correct about this debate. Obviously, as I've said many times throughout this playoffs, Stafford has played at a higher level than Jared Goff ever did for the Rams in the playoffs. But there were moments of critical mistakes, including an interception in the uh, end zone. I mean, that was kind of an arm pun. The other in- interception wasn't really Stafford's fault in this game. That was that was more on Skoranek. Uh But you know, Skoranek. he was he wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagine the play- imagination in the playoffs. But that final drive for the touchdown, I feel like that was the drive where, if that's Jared Goff, don't think the Rams are winning the Super Bowl. They're probably not there, but I don't think they're winning the Super Bowl. So they update DVOA weekly through the playoffs, right? Correct. They're number four. <laughs> or Yeah, I think they're number four. Like, basically tied with the Buccaneers and number three. You're giving credit. They're number five, it looks like, Team DVOA. You're giving credit to a team that finished fifth overall in DVOA and beat the number 17 team by DVOA here. Barely. Just barely beat them. This is your champion that you're feeling good about? This is like I mean, they're still the Super anything, Bowl winners. Great. Good for them. Really proud of them. You want to take that bubble championship? This was a less impressive championship than that, right? They limped their way to the Super Bowl. They had easy opponents in every single round. I mean, there was a great—I mean, I don't think that Tampa Bay was an easy opponent. Again, Tampa Bay, you have to switch over to regular season plus playoffs. Uh, That's where the Rams are fourth. And believe it or not, did not end up behind the New England Patriots, as they did in the regular season-only version. I want to see where Cincinnati is in the regular season plus playoffs. I mean, they're still very low. I, I'm sorry, but they just... Oh, a few stats. Okay. They just didn't beat that good of a team. Like, Not on Sunday, but again, they beat the Buccaneers in Tampa. The other only win more impressive than that in the playoffs from a DVOA perspective the was... The Niners over the Cowboys. Yeah, San Francisco. And then the Rams beat them. I mean, I, you know, part of the credit you get is for beating the teams that beat the teams that are better than them. Great. They just, they didn't, they had one of the easiest roads you could possibly have to a Super Bowl. Like, yes, the win at Tampa was a nice win, but beyond that, they had three home games out of four. Like, I'm sorry, but you can't tell me that this wasn't an easy road to the playoffs. I mean, it's literally unprecedented in NFL history, right? Because you can't have more than two home games before the Super Bowl unless you can't have more than two home games before the Super Bowl. Yeah, so they played the most home games in playoff history. That's correct. Because Tampa Bay only played one last year. (laughs) 
This is your champion, and they still manage to fuck it up. Like, the person who should be mad in this scenario is Matthew Stafford. Well, nobody should be mad. They won the Super Bowl. Matthew <laughs> <laughs> Stafford is pretty excited at the moment. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, the, the person who got... Let's say that they lost this game. Sean McVay lost them this game. Like... In this hypothetical world that they lost. Like they, By running the ball too much? I, it was a horrible game plan, right? It was an awful game plan. The fact that they had to wait until this final drive to finally start passing the ball was just like Matthew Stafford, Super Bowl winner Matthew Stafford, should be furious with Sean McVay because this is not a sustainable way Cooper to play Cup football. Should Cooper be furious with Sean McVay? Does he get to be furious with Sean McVay as well? Well, I mean, in the end, he got he got the targets, but like... They didn't play a good football game anywhere, and they had probably the how many of the best players on the field? I mean, they definitely had clearly the two best players on the field. Yes, and that's what ultimately mattered in the fourth quarter, and and possibly more. And Matthew Stafford was not one of those two best players. No. So, like, why are we again? This is the same shit with Jimmy G. Why are we talking about Matthew Stafford because he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback? Because he made one good throw in the game. But Stafford the. Point wasn't is Stafford going to be the best quarterback in the NFL if he goes to the Rams. The point was is Stafford's addition going to materially change the Rams' outlook? And I think the answer to that was yes. I don't know if I agree with that. You think? That, I mean, they still like had, a Cooper Cup had like a historically great season. Dead, and it's obviously partially because was, of Stafford. He but was Cooper there Cup before. Was pretty fucking good. He was injured at various times. He was injured when they played in the Super Bowl previously. Coop, but Cooper Cup players go to different levels throughout their career. You can't just say Cooper Cup is here. Like he's clearly in his prime. And I don't think it was just because of Stafford. Like Cooper Cup can get open. And a lot of quarterbacks could get the ball to Cooper Cup. And then at the same time, Aaron Donald, who somehow didn't win Defensive Player of the Year, is the greatest defensive player I've ever seen in my I, entire life. TJ Watt had more, had the sack record, so you're not allowed to vote for anyone. But if you say you vote that Aaron Donald is more deserving, it's disrespectful to TJ Watt and sacks. I didn't even know that he had the sack record. <laughs> yes, I'm not. I'm not really keeping up with the dialogue. He, he did break. But like Aaron Donald is the greatest defensive player of all time. I mean, we weren't around for prime LT. We can't really speak to that, or even really prime Reggie White. Like, I remember Reggie White's Packers days, but not him as an eagle when he was more in his physical prime. I have a really hard time buying that those players have as much of an impact as Aaron Donald has on every single play of the game. It's not like he just breaks through and gets sacks. Like, Aaron Donald is, I guess, of any defensive player that I've ever seen play, he is the most impactful defensive player. You know, because you basically can just wipe secondary players out completely because they're too hard to, or they're, mean, they're even, too easy even to Even Jalen Ramsey, uh, like it was clearly a penalty on T. Higgins when he got beaten for the touchdown, but Jalen Ramsey did not have a particularly great Super Bowl. And you would have said probably that he was the third most. I mean, Jamar Chase is up there at some point yeah, for taking the Chase best players there. on the field. <laughs> but like when you look, when you factor in the Rams defensive line and the Bengals offensive line, like this game was closer than it should have been. And it was closer than it should have been because Sean McVay. He coached a bad game. Like, it was laughable when they kept running the ball. It was just like, what, what are we doing here, right? Like, and the fact that he got to win the Super Bowl playing like that, it is disappointing to me about the sport of football <laughs> and the future. Like, this game at the end should have been an indictment on Sean McVay. That's why I'm upset about it. That's why you're upset about it? Well, also, fuck the Rams. God. Like, there's just, there's no fun to them winning the Super Bowl. Even when UW's own Taylor Rapp 
proposes to his significant other on the field. Great. Okay. Just just nothing. Was cold, he not going to propose if they would have lost? Black, I, if if I, they lost the Super Bowl, would he have been like, we're done? We're <laughs> that's through. A, that's a lot to put on the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, what about the I, possibility of... Take, I refuse to take an L on Matthew Stafford. <laughs> I'll take an L. I don't think I've ever said anything bad about Cooper Cup or Aaron Donald. I will gladly take an L on both of those two. Uh, but Matthew Stafford, it's this, literally... We definitely said nothing bad about Cooper Cup after he played against UW. Oh, my God. He, we would have said draft that man immediately. And the thing is, Sean McVay inherited both of those players, right? Was Cup drafted no, before he Cup got there? No, Cup was drafted when he was there. I'm almost certain of that. But, like, the the reality is, I think Sean McVay probably is a good coach. For the extent to the extent that any coach can be a good coach outside of children's basketball, and <laughs> like I think he probably is an above average coach, all things considered. But his game plans and the amount that he relies on running the ball, just pounding the ball up the middle, ultimately I, make him a probably below average coach overall. I think this was an atypical amount for them to rely on running the ball when they were running the ball unsuccessfully. So he was. It was odd that they didn't adjust more, but eventually they did. But, like, this is your offensive genius that you're watching? He was a mockery. He was a mockery of modern football in the game. I mean, the worrying thing is that they won, so Pete Carroll's going to take the lesson that need to keep that establishing can... that run. They were ninth in offensive DVA, like, including the playoffs. I'm oh, sorry, they won, this they won more because of their defense, without question. It wasn't an impressive offense. Matthew Stafford made one throw. It's the same as the Jimmy G shit. It's like the fucking Niners block a punt I mean, I and think get a touchdown. I think you're putting a little too negative a spin on Stafford's performance in this game, especially given the receiving core after Odell Beckham Jr. went out when they were also without Tyler Higby. I mean, that's three of their top four receivers, like, those four guys never all played together because Beckham got there after Woods tore his ACL. But uh, four of their best of their four best receiving options, the three others besides Cooper Cup were not out there, and it was a pretty severe drop off after Cooper Cup from that point on. Wow. Score, score, scoronic hater. <laughs> I mean, it was a pretty costly, costly drop into an interception. Whatever. This I just. It's fine. Like, it's just, whatever. The Rams can have a Super Bowl. And I think the important thing to remember is Aaron Donald. It's so crucial to go out on a high note like this. You look at Tom Brady had the opportunity last year. Look what happened this year. You, too, could lose to the Rams at home next season. So, definitely, Aaron Donald, time to, time to hang him up. You've done all there is to do. I have to look at Aaron Donald's age. He's 30. 30? God. If I could retire at 30, I would. Oh. I need a time machine. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, I, I did functionally retire. <laughs> you retired at thirty. Uh, uh, so you were in LA for uh-huh. the Super Bowl week. Was the excitement around the city of Angels about the Rams in the Super Bowl palpable? Oh, palpable. Literally, you could see the excitement on every single city bus and nowhere else. <laughs> oh no! It was like. There was one flag that we saw at the beach. Shouts to the beach. Um, the excitement about the beach, way stronger than the excitement for the Rams. Do you think the beach listens to the pod? <laughs> beach, if the beach was a fan of anybody, it's definitely not the Rams. <laughs> I think the, be- the beach likes the Niners and the Raiders a little bit. <laughs> it didn't hate for the Rams to win, but it ultimately didn't care. 
the the just like literally nowhere you went could you find a Rams fan. <laughs> it was like almost poison in L.A. to be a Rams fan. Like it says something about you if you're a Rams fan in L.A. And it's not a positive. Even the people who went to the game, like celebrities who went to the game, there was not a single, I guess, Snoop Dogg with his... Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow is a Rams fan? He posted Go Rams, I'm pretty sure. Wow, when was the last time he made a good movie? <laughs> you think those two things don't line up? I mean, I enjoyed The King of Staten Island. The King of Staten Island? Yeah. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what else. His movies have not aged that well. Toxic masculinity much. Uh, <clears throat> anyway... It, it'll be remembered as a time period in the future. We'll look back on it. It'll be a little bit embarrassing <laughs> for society. In the same way that the films of Judd Apatow are similar to this L.A. Rams Super Bowl. We'll look back on it, and it'll be a little bit embarrassing for society that it happened. Uh, it was kind of funny. So I got it, got back, and Jan was like, did you see all the riots or whatever? And I was like, what are you talking about? She, she Jan's actually, definition of riots is very loose also. So she came over to watch the halftime show on Sunday after <laughs> after doing yard work in my front yard for portions of the uh, second quarter. And uh, at one point wondered whether you were going to be safe in L.A. It took her whether she was asking if they lost or won. But either way, I was like, no, I don't think that you have to worry about that. It's not like, you know, it's not like the Philadelphia is winning the Super Bowl here. I, I truly loved the idea that that there would be quote-unquote riots. She said that they showed them on TV, and I was like, I don't know where that was, but it definitely wasn't anywhere near me. I didn't say anything After the game it. was over, it was just like immediately like it didn't happen. Wow. It was kind of wild. Uh, so we went to this bar, Low Boy, in Echo Park. I was I was staying with third Pelton brother Reese. He was friends with the general manager of Low Boy. We debated. We went back and forth about where we were going to go. We were like, "Will this bar be too full to go to? <laughs> a bar in L.A. be too full to watch a Rams Super Bowl?" I mean, I, I when I once went to watch games in L.A. on a random Sunday, there was a bar that was too full to watch the Seahawks game wow. on, on Sunday ticket. So it's. No, that's because people in LA are fans of other teams. Yeah, they're, they're happy to go they're to bars to watch the Sunday slate. Just of not the Rams. Rams. Of yeah. the Rams. Yeah. Like the Eagles probably played on that Sunday or whatever. The Raiders, yeah. the Niners. Notably, there was Daniel Jones's first start. There were a lot of Giants fans there? there. Yeah, there's Giants fans, Steelers fans. All the other teams have fans in LA. That's not the question. It's just the team that plays in LA. And this is the team in LA that has the more fans than the other team <laughs> that plays in LA. That is the best part. Uh, bring the Chargers to Portland, though. Come on. <laughs> do they, are they play a football stadium in Portland? I just haven't play, it doesn't. Do, do the Chargers play in a football stadium now? <laughs> well, they do play at currently so at SoFi. Yes, previously they did not. That's it really may funny. have been memorial, uh, not Memorial Coliseum. What, what's the name of the uh, soccer stadium now? It's not Geldwin anymore. Providence Park. And do the Portland Pilots have a football stadium? <laughs> the I think Portland State play, Portland does not play football. Portland State does play at Providence Park. That's where they'll play. Yeah. There we go. We have it settled. They'll have more. Imagine how many fans the Chargers would have in Portland. Especially I mean, if they'd Herbert sell out every game. Oh, yeah. That would be huge. Ugh. Wow. Anyway, so we went to this bar, Low Boy in Echo Park. We walked in. There was like, I don't know, eight people there or whatever. <laughs> Immediately, we're able to sit more or less at like the best seats in the entire place, um, and most of the people there were cheering for the Rams. But it was sort of like, kind of like passive cheering. 
<clears throat> so like the game, there there were only a few times where Reese and I like really let ourselves cheer for the Bengals. <laughs> when, on the pick, when they got the pick, it was like the p- excitement was palpable. You know, oh that that was palpable. When, I mean, when it was like, yeah, the, from the two people cheering for the Bengals <laughs> in the bar, that was palpable. But it was like, all of a sudden, like, you felt it. You know what I mean? You're like, yes. I'm really cheering for the Bengals here. Uh, so it was like, the Rams win the Super Bowl. The people who are cheering for the Rams immediately leave. <laughs> it wasn't like they, like, hung, hung out and celebrated or anything. It was just like, okay, cool. Time to go home now. It was kind of, and they were not going anywhere to like go party in the streets. They were going back to their houses. They were to, they were going to SeaTac to celebrate like we no, did in two thousand. No, they, they were not going to go uh, drink a SeaTac shot, which is pulls from the half cheesy. Like that was not what was going on. They were going back home to watch Euphoria or whatever. Like right, like big night. Yeah, they they had for other your consideration. <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of incredible. The one sight that I saw of any person celebrating the Rams was there was a car driving down the street in Echo Park uh, and a person holding a Rams flag out the window and they drove down one direction and then came back the other direction <laughs> and that was it. And no one honked or anything? There, there might have been a, a honk. It might okay. have been that car. Though. Okay. Oh, so they were honking. For the t- yeah. I do have an important question about Lobi. Yes. You posted a, a picture of a burger on, in fries on, on Instagram and if I didn't know better... I would have thought that was from Loretta's. I'll tell you what. If Loretta's is the best burger in Seattle, this burger apples to apples probably would have been the best burger in Seattle. Wow. It was excellent. Holy crap. I mean, I don't find myself in Echo Park very often, but I guess I maybe do. Uh, I'm going to have to... I don't find myself in LA very often is the answer. I haven't been there since the the summer of 2020. You go down there to celebrate Matthew Stafford. Or summer of 2019, I should say. You're like, woo, I, I thought this would work out slightly better than Ben and Tristan did. Now I'm a Rams super fan. <laughs> I actually was driving the car with the Rams. Yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, better than Loretta's. I think so. So here's the thing. They, they make their own ketchup, and it's smoked ketchup. Okay. It was incredible. So they had really? that with the fries. Yeah, it was excellent. I mean, the deal was $12 for the burger fries this was a super bowl special you know it's oh. the palpable excitement about the Rams. the 12th fan yeah <laughs> by, the, by the way can i say so the t- burgers fries and a beer of your choice so that could have been and some of the beers were like seven dollars on draft it was a phenomenal deal but they you know the downside compared to Loretta's, i bet they didn't even have rainier tall boys that's true they did not have rainier tall boys a thing about the rams quickly oh god the rams house thing is the saddest attempt to make some sort of home tradition happen. Rams? Oh, that's what they say, like dog's house? Ram's house? Yeah, but like the PA announcer repeatedly <laughs> says it throughout the game. And then Stan Kroenke tried to work it into Whoa. his post-game. Thank you. That's E. Stanley Kroenke to you. <laughs> he, As if he wasn't already unapproachable enough, he was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to now sound like a movie villain on top of that. When he was Stan Kroenke, that's a St. Louis name. Now that you're the comical villain, was he, he was appointed to some sort of post by Trump, wasn't he? Or was that I not him? Okay. Him, no. I assume most NFL owners are. He's like, <laughs> I mean, they, they next year he's going to have a fucking monocle. They may not have specifically been appointed like, to post. Bring me Odell Beckham Jr. I'm E. Stanley Kroenke. His speaking, public speaking is a lot more awkward than that. It is, is it not really? villainy. You didn't, you couldn't hear that. They didn't. No, show they the, literally. That was the other thing. They cut like, away. The game ended. Music came on. <laughs> it was like, like they knelt it out and then music came on. They like they were celebrating. It was done. 
Honestly. Like the Super Bowl and any interest in the Super Bowl was over in that second. That is perfect. As the clock hit double zero. It wasn't like nobody stayed and watched the speeches. I didn't see it. I think it might have still been on the TV on silent. But it was like, I think uh, 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 Stronger by Kanye West came on. And it was just like, we were off for the rest of our night. It's always awkward when the owner has to say something in that scenario. Uh-huh. I don't, Paul Allen, I don't feel like Paul Allen said anything, but maybe I think he does. He must have. Uh, but even by that standards, Cronky was like especially awkward and not excited enough about winning the Super Bowl. He's Stanley Cronky. He definitely said something <laughs> about doing it at Rams House. Doing it at Rams House. Oh mm. God, I hate it. Yeah. They should have leaned into the Ramley. We are we are Ramley. That is legitimately clever. Well. I'll tell you, teams are bad at this. You know better than I do. <laughs> I'm all too well aware. As the Seahawks try to fucking make whatever happen, right? The like, uh, people are very excited about this new Sounders jersey. Are they? Yeah, it seems to be getting positive reviews from what oh, I yeah, can that's tell. Good. The Sounders are at least trying. I just want things that you that are your own. Like if you take something and completely right. rip it off for another city, it's not that fucking hard, people. But I, I, I I've been critical of people who've worked in. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Pro sports. Pro sports. Yeah. It's just not not the type of place where there's a lot of inventiveness happening, mm-hmm. right? There's not a lot of creativity happening. You know, I've mentioned many times that at the Seattle Storm, the Pagliacci pizza, any pizza, fucking a Gog Primo, untouched. The cheese pizzas from Pagliacci, every single pizza from Pagliacci is great. I, I am, this is not an insult to Pagliacci pizza in any way, because even the cheese at Pagliacci is phenomenal. <clears throat> it's just that. Thank you to our sponsors. But, obviously. but. Any pizza that had any ingredients that were not pepperoni or cheese, not a soul in the storm offices would touch them. I just, like, got there, and I was like, where the fuck am I? You people can't even eat ricotta? Like, this is bonkers. Of course, at pro sporting events, they're just like, what's happening in wherever, Detroit, Philadelphia, etc.? Let's rip that off completely. You can't even eat fucking ricotta on your pizza. So, of course, you haven't figured out anything creative to do in your own stadium. I mean, I don't know that the, the Seahawks ripped off the 12 flag from, but like now every team has a tradition like that before a game. A 12 flag? Texas A&M. Well, <laughs> I think yes. we know precisely where they ripped it off from. I don't know that they have someone raise a flag oh, before re- I I'm not talking about the 12s 12 aspect of it. I'm no, it's, it's nice. That's a good thing that we have, though. Yeah. Right? Like, it's cool to have something that feels unique. But when you're playing music constantly from artists that are based in the other city, like, there has to be thought that goes into this. You should hear Chris Smith complain during the game. He's on it. <laughs> he is definitely not complaining. Oh wow, <laughs> phenomenal! We're definitely aligned on. It would just be nice if you have a thing that's your own thing. Yeah. If you're doing the fucking bullshit light on your phone thing a decade after everybody else did it, exactly. It's not cool. Exactly. I'm sorry. It is not cool. So that was the Super Bowl. <laughs> Anything a else farce. from your farce of a Super Bowl? Farce. Anything else from your trip to LA? That was it. Okay. Good. Uh, <laughs> I will say that traveling to the city that this Super Bowl takes place in and not having anything to do with the Super Bowl is kind of a nightmare travel-wise. Like, I was delayed on well, the tarmac for a long period of time. I, ha- I had to rent a car to do some errands. And Wait, we had, you, you flew out of LAX? I flew out of Burbank. Oh, and Even, that's, Burbank that's the thing. The I'm like, was I'm, too fucking crowded. Like, I'm a VIP here, right? Every single person, I looked at the the like wait, the wait list, like upgrade list on the Burbank flight, and it was like, 50 names. I was like, every single person at Burbank is in the, the B 
entry, right? It's just like you everybody well has have MVP seed, status. Yep. If you if you're flying out of Burbank, you know what's up. And we got delayed flying out of Burbank. It wasn't because of any Burbank related thing though. It was just the airspace was too busy with private jets, I presume. Did you see the map of all the private jets leaving? I think that was actually right after the game. There was a map with like the hundreds of private jets leaving wow. LA and wh- where they were going throughout the country. That's going to be Sunday night after the All-Star game in Cleveland. Is it? Pri- people fly private jets in. The players. All the players. The players are going to be the ones leaving immediately afterwards. <sighs> anyway, so that, that was kind of annoying. Yeah, we, we had to pick up a car at the JW downtown, which was like the you know the home site basically for like the activation yeah the home activation for the like nfl stuff and it was kind of a nightmare um david was like this feels like south by southwest like people were wearing lanyards there were gift bags and i was like i need to get the fuck i've already determined i'm not going to south by south west this year i need to get the fuck out of this place as fast as possible okay anyway while i was in la I had to turn over control of my basketball teams that I've molded, crafted in my own image, right? They're strong, they're fierce, they're powerful. Mindful, one would say. And I, I don't know how many of those adjectives I would apply to today's practice that I attended. <laughs> uh, I, I want to bring in Mrs. Fantasy Genius in a second here. Before then, so I'm literally sitting at the beach. I send a picture of us sitting at the beach, like just having a phenomenal time. Looks like it. Right? I mean, can you believe the 85 degrees? I'm just telling you, there's a place on Earth, not right the second, but right now, generally, you could move somewhere. I've told you this before. We are not fucking pioneers or whatever. I mean, like, it would be a tough look for our Seattle sports podcast if we were doing it from live from the home of the LA Rams. I would move to Inglewood. <laughs> That's where they play, right? That's where the stadium is? That is where the stadium is, yes. Okay, so I, I get these these notes... And I'm kind of stressed from Mrs. Fantasy Genius. Um, so this is the team that we crushed, if you remember back, if you're, if you're a listener, mm-hmm. to the greatest stretch of Pelton cast history, uh, <laughs> back to the previous greatest stretch. Uh, Mrs. Fantasy Genius is texting me that the other coaches, the, uh, we know the other kid, Sayer's dad was given uh, a good kid. No, the, so they are their much team, better. Their team got a new player. Yeah, well, they only had five players, if you recall back, uh, right. to the first time we played them. That was kind of their trade deadline pickup. Yeah, and then it was two good kids, and I was like, are they beating us better? And then Mrs. Fantasy Genius said, yes, but not badly, 2 nothing." And then <laughs> all of a nothing. sudden, a little bit later, Brandon has taken over as coach. <laughs> So I, I, that's one of the players on the team, the, ironically, whose dad is a coach at Mountaineer High School. So I was like, well, if anybody's going to do it, I only trust Luca and Brandon to take over as coach. And then says, I'm not mad about it, about Brandon taking over as coach. <laughs> Nerd Rev, officially being crushed by Sayers team. We need you. Oh, no. Wow. That is... That is the text that I'm getting while I'm sitting on the beach. They were stressed about this game. And I'm there like, was a storm cloud at the beach, and it was directly over you. Later, though, I get, we're playing well, though. Lots of fouls and free throws. I can't believe there were that many fouls and free throws. That's too much. Usually, the, our team is pretty damn physical, though. I saw that earlier today. Uh, I believe we're winning. Luca on the bench is so much like you and Al. <laughs> 
He's down there like ESPN's Kevin Pelton. There was, Luca made there was another a shot. He was mad at another little kid, so in my image. Holy shit, Luca just stole the ball from the kid that took it um, from that kid, took it all the way down court and made a shot. Game over. Seriously, his best game ever. Sent me a video of Luca scoring a play. It was like he passes the ball in bounds, gets the ball back, knocks down a shot, and I proceeded as a proud parent who couldn't watch my team, my child's team. To show every single person in the city of Los Angeles wow. that video. Wow, that was palpable. Rock stars, record label people, publishers, every single one of them saw the video of Lucas scoring scoring that basket in the game. Well, anyway, this this week in basketball, we have rematch against the one team that defeated us. And it's gonna be a little bit difficult. I know that a lot of NBA coaches face this midwinter break. <laughs> <laughs> it's very similar to the all-star break it's similar say. to the all-star break if all of the teams carried on playing without their all-stars during the weekend oh no so you know we we come up against the team that beat us the time before and midwinter break so this is revenge week for fourth grade basketball well i look forward to an update next weekend let's get into seattle sports in our usual rundown you're making me drink this beer from oregon two weeks in a row we can't do Oregon sports? We've already done 45 minutes. I think we, we probably Let's need to get really ex- fast, really fast. All right, so speaking of getting a bunch of new players at the trade deadline, the okay. Blazers did that too and also started becoming more successful, shockingly winning three in a row. Their last three games, starting with the Lakers the night before the deadline at home, and then Josh Hart made his debut after they got him in the C.J. McCollum trade on Saturday. They came from way down to beat New York, one of the season's biggest comebacks, then on Monday, one in Milwaukee against the Bucks playing without Giannis. Are the Blazers too good? I don't think they're going to keep winning this many games, but in addition to Hart like making every three he takes, which is probably not going to continue, but he is a very good player. Uh, Justice Winslow has been awesome. Really? Which is like kind of maybe a big thing. I mean, he's still very young, was someone who... Really? Three. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was a one and done in like 2017, I think, maybe 2016. Uh, he, you know, three years ago at the deadline, Memphis gave up a lot, or two years ago, I should say, at the deadline, before the bubble, Memphis gave up a lot to get him. Get him. They gave up Jay Crowder and... Uh, uh, I can't Andre Iguodala and that might deal with Miami and instead of getting in draft picks they got back Justice Winslow because they viewed him as like their future starter at small forward and then he had a hip injury in the bubble and it just kind of never worked out there but the potential is still there the Blazers are also wisely using him as kind of a big man and because they're so small uh, instead of a three which I think is a better fit for him is there a chance that the Blazers actually make the playoffs Instead of the Pelicans, like if they there, trade there's CJ, a, there's a real chance that they make the play in instead or, of the that's Pelicans. What I mean, the play, yeah, yeah, the Pelicans lost earlier tonight. If they trade CJ in a move that people were just like roasting them for, but then the Pelicans don't make the play in and the Blazers do, I don't want them to as somebody who wants the Blazers to have bad draft picks. But here's the thing they have the Pelicans pick, they have the Pelicans pick. I mean, the Pelicans could jump in into the top four and keep their pick, but it, it, they are actually helping their pick in some ways if they block the Pelicans from the plan. What did you think in general about these trades? I think people were, you know, really unhappy with the return, but I just don't think they I mean, to, to me, to get a first-round pick that could be in the lottery for C.J. McCollum, in addition to Josh Hart, who's a really good player on a great contract, that's a that's a phenomenal return to me. That part of it, just given CJ's contract and his age, 
you know, there was a risk of that being very difficult, I think, to trade in a year or two here. Uh, and then, you know, Norman Powell, they basically treated that as something of a salary dump. They did get back Keon Johnson, who was a first round pick last year. So, but they were both free agents, right? No, Powell's oh, he's contract. on contract. That's the issue is he's got four years left on his oh. contract after this. The Blazers kind of sacrificed a lower starting salary because of their luxury tax position. And in turn, they gave Powell an extremely long contract for a player his age and his size. And uh, the Clippers, that's not a big deal to them at all. They don't mind paying the luxury tax. But if you're a, a <clears throat> below 500 team and you're paying the luxury tax and you've got four more years for Norman Powell, that's, again, a bit of a concern, I think, why he didn't have as much value league-wide. But they did get a former first-round, a recent first-round pick. This year, Keon right? Or is that yeah. last year? Yeah. I mean, this season. This is his rookie season. This is his rookie season. Yeah. I'm not the world's biggest Keon Johnson fan, but I think people, there's like this whole, like, drive the car off the lot. The pick becomes less valuable. And I think that thing, that concept has gone way too far in that direction, like, He's What's still, the difference? You have to draft a player with it at some point. That's yes, exactly. But it's just like it's the magic boat thing. Mm-hmm. It could be the box could be anything. It's magic box thing. It could be anything. It could even be a boat, uh-huh. like the Family Guy meme. So people are overvaluing that, and then you know it's Robert definitely... Covington. I don't think had very much value, and people are contrasting it with the fact that they gave up two first round picks to get Covington. But when they did that, Covington had two cheap euros left in his contract. The Blazers used a year and a half of that. He's only got six months left, so his value was not nearly as high anymore. People just don't don't think. I mean, people instead of thinking what they do is they go on Twitter and tweet, "Who the fuck is Kevin Pelton?" I, I, no, usually they go on Reddit. <laughs> on Reddit, don't do that. As it turns out, I definitely had a very good time reading multiple hundred comment threads of people roasting you. Uh, but in the end, why are you booing me? I'm right. <laughs> The your number one thing is you don't trade for players, you trade for contracts. And number people one. have a very hard time viewing that. They traded an aging player. When you look at the CJ McCollum contract, I, I don't know if I think CJ McCollum is that great of a player right now on its own, but like but you're looking like, at he's a top forty player in the NBA, certainly. Thirty million, thirty three million, thirty five million for his age thirty two season. Yeah. It's an albatross. The contract the salary goes up. And his production, given his age, is likely to go down. That's that's the piece that I think people have a really hard time with, is just that play, players... When it's also just there's this concept of like, well, who cares about the contract? Just get the player. But people don't think about what's the sacrifice that's going to come later. So in the Blazers' case, the sacrifices that came later are these trades they made this week. Uh-huh. And people are upset about them, but they're really the result of all these moves that go back to giving CJ McCollum the extension in 2019 after getting to the conference finals, et cetera, trading Gary Trent Jr. for Norman Powell last year. Yeah, I'm I'm personally for it. I mean, it, it just didn't feel like they were going anywhere with that particular I mean, core. I don't think the Blazers are actually going to be better like they've played the last three games, but at least they're going to be younger and have some more options to either use this big trade exception. They're they're clearly going to tra- target Jeremy Grant again at the draft using that trade exception, or if they don't use that, then they potentially can have some cap space as well. I mean, I, I just think a player like CJ is probably, even though I love CJ, like he, same. I mean, and his his farewell piece in the Players Tribune was was like I was legitimately emotional reading it. I I think CJ is on a personal level. It seems like a great person and a very good basketball player, and he is the exact worst type type of player to have on your team. 
you know, somebody who's not a top 10 player, but you have to pay this kind of money. And I think that's kind of the issue and you have to pay them until they're older. But like nobody's excited right now. It's not as he's not as much of an albatross as John Wall or Russell Westbrook or whatever. But like he could be there. It'll be an expiring, but like... Yeah, probably not, just because the deal isn't that long, but it, it, it's, it may prevent the Pelicans from making some additions down the road that people will then think differently about the trade. Or they won't ever think about it again, and they'll just... That, that's the thing, is you don't reassess trades after. I mean, they'll, they'll be unhappy that they're paying C.J. McCollum that much money. You, the only trades that have ever been reassessed are the Russell Westbrook trade, and then any time that you were wrong Wait, about something. Which Russell Westbrook trade? But I, I mean, all of them. Every single trade, right, since he left Oklahoma City has been bad. But maybe I don't know about the Rockets one to Washington. But the, the other times that they reassess it is when you give a grade to something that ends up working out when the you DeMar give a DeRozan bad grade. trade. Yeah. Yes. DeMar DeRozan, Jared Allen. That's it. Yes. So, but nobody goes back and is just like, wow, Pelton roasted this. I complain because the grades live on forever. The 100 comment Reddit thread is gone. That is correct. So, not to Although I you. did bring back the Carmelo Anthony glitches at the computer line <laughs> because it was just too funny last week. Oh. Okay, Seattle sports. Pitchers and catchers should be reporting this week instead. Uh, sounds like they are in Newcastle. Yes, apparently they're there. Major League Baseball's lockout continues. No no apparent end in sight. I'm going mean, to lockout fucking children's sports. So sick of this. I feel like my take is this is actually secretly good for the Mariners because they can't underachieve expectations. Well, the season's going to happen. People are like, why are you locking out children's basketball and baseball? I'll be like, I'm tired. <laughs> Like, how can we negotiate and be like, a nap? I think you're actually just quitting. I don't think you're doing a lockout. Unless you lock the door at the gym for practice next week. Uh, Cracking update. Back from the All-Star break. Uh, 5-2 loss Wednesday against Arizona. Then got an impressive 4-3 win Friday night in Anaheim. Uh, fun game. I was able to watch most of the uh, second and third periods of that one. I uh, did not watch it all on Monday as they lost 6-2 to two to the Toronto Maple Leafs at Climate Pledge Arena. Uh, this week, head out on the road. They're, they're making up these games that were originally scheduled in Canada that got postponed uh, Thursday at Winnipeg, Saturday at Calgary, Monday at Vancouver, and then Tuesday back home taking on New York. I don't have in there whether that's the Islanders or the Rangers. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't it's matter. It's always 50-50. Chalk it up to a 6-2 loss or a 5-2 loss, maybe 7-2. Here's the thing, though. If you've noticed, on if you have them as one of your favorite teams on ESPN, you may have noticed Seattle Sounders have popped back into your Hello. upcoming games because they're playing on Thursday, the CONCACAF Champions League at Matagua into Honduras this week to face them in San Pedro Sula for the opening match of a two-match aggregate series. Matagua qualified for the CONCACAF Champions League as Bunny's getting after it again. Runners up in the 2021 CONCACAF League. <laughs> That's going to be part of the greatest stretch in Pelton oh, no. history. <laughs> Uh, which features exclusively non-CONCACAF Champion League teams from outside the USA and Mexico. In that competition last year, they lost it to Guatemala inside Comunicaciones in the final. Matagua has yet to advance past the round of 16 in five previous CCL appearances. They lost 4-1 on aggregate to Atlanta United in 2020 in their most recent appearance. They're currently fourth in the Honduras Clausura through five matches after finishing fourth in the Apertura. And they drew 1-1 on Saturday with rivals CD Olympia, 
who you may recall as authentic pronunciations. For just, uh, every week, you're like, finish this. Uh, uh, you're, you're like, I tell you these things. I'm just like, you're just saying words. <laughs> well, I don't expect you to remember Clausura I'm like and the Apertura. Apertura. So those are in, Muta, in communi- communicaciones. In Spanish-speaking countries in the Americas, they tend to play their seasons. It's not a strict, like, you know, throughout fall to spring or late summer to spring like they do in Europe. They tend to have a half that they play in the fall and then a half that they play in the spring, basically. Uh, yeah, okay. Like the final so, season of Breaking Bad. Apertura <clears throat> is opening. Closera is closing. I see. Grand opening, grand closing. So they're in their second half of their season. It's a split season. Uh, anyway, they drew one-on-one on Saturday with their rival CD Olympia, who you may recall knocked the Sounders out of the 2020 CONCACAF Champions League on penalties with the Pelton brothers in attendance. <laughs> that was a rough one. Shortly before play was stopped due to the pandemic, Olympia went out to, on to uh, knock out Montreal the same way before losing in the semifinals to Tigres. Uh, sounds like the Sounders should have their pretty much have their first choice squad available. Knew who's the only person who hasn't been in training, and uh, I believe he did travel with the team to Honduras. He's definitely going to be available for this match, so All right. we'll see how much he plays. But going to be exciting to see Sounders soccer again. It it doesn't feel like that long ago because it wasn't. All right, some more off-season updates on the Storm. After participating in a USA basketball training camp in the U.S., Brianna Stewart was in Seattle on Thursday for the in-person press conference announcing her new contract with the team. Sadly, I was not able to attend because that press conference started literally minutes after the James Harden Ben Simmons <laughs> trade. <laughs> so I couldn't even jump on wow, the uh, You created the that Zoom. press conference in F. The timing of it I did, unfortunately, great enough for me. Uh, she gave it an F for calling the organization family wow. and said there was never a chance of her leaving despite the meeting she took with the New York Liberty and said that the Man, decision... I feel really shitty about that if I was the New York Liberty. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, Jewel Lloyd basically was like, hey, I get to go hang out with some friends in New York. <laughs> and Stuart said this. Uh, like, are we being used here? I, I think they knew what the deal was. Uh, said her decision to sign a one-year deal was strictly about the WNBA's coming prioritization rules, which was we talked about a couple weeks ago on the pod. Uh, starting next year, if you're not back for opening night, you will be suspended for the entire season by the league. Not by your, it's not a team choice. It's by the league. And then in 2024, if you're not back for the start of training camp, that will apply. So, you know, still doing some work into kind of all the ramifications of this rule because it's obviously not just the storm that are going to be affected. All the teams have key players who play overseas. It's going to be a huge storyline, I think, over the next year in the WNBA and, and beyond. Uh, the other relevant WNBA thing that happened in the past week is uh, on Friday, my ESPN colleague Michelle Vopel reported that Courtney Vandersloot will be re-signing with Chicago on a one-year contract which sets her up to be an unrestricted free agent in 2023 when the Storm will presumably have an opening at point guard. Uh, the Kent native possibility to fill that. Also, Kelsey Plum, I think I may have mentioned previously, she's going to be an unrestricted free wow. agent in 2023. So some, some intriguing possibilities for the Storm at point guard then. Really? That is correct. Wow, if they could replace Sue with one of Courtney Vandersloot or Kelsey Plum, I mean, Plum, by all accounts, seems very happy in Las Vegas. I don't know that I'm counting on that happening. Wasn't there, like, a thing where one of our teammates was talking shit about her on Instagram? I mean, if it, I, I don't, I'm not sure about this, but uh, if it wasn't, maybe it may have been an ex-teammate. Who, uh, who, who is the, the biggest 
Liz Cambage. Liz Cambage is no longer on the Aces. Uh, She's signing with Los Angeles, reportedly. I get it. Yes. Okay. So that that's not going to be an, an issue for her staying with the... Uh, but Vandersloot, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, reportedly the first offer to her, according to my ESPN colleague, Hotly Rowe, was disrespectful. So Wait, what was disrespectful? The offer to Courtney Vandersloot. So they came up with a more respectful offer at some point. but For a one-year deal, though. One-year deal. Hmm. Intriguing. Intriguing. Well, I, I'm pretty sure it was Liz Cambage. I, I'm telling you, buckle up. This is going to be the year. We're going to have a big WNBA year. I hope so. Is there WNBA trade deadline? There is. Is there action at it? Not, not notable. Okay. I mean, there's been like one or two big trades ever, but usually it's very minor trades, if anything. All right. That could be changing, too. There's, it seems like there's a lot of transaction stuff happening. These are a lot of short deals. It's plausible. It's harder because the WNBA has the hard salary cap. So it's not like, you know, you can... It's harder to trade, like... Uh, a, and there's not kind of the same degree of, like, bad expiring contracts that you can trade for a player with a longer contract. So there's just not this. And then there's only 12 teams and eight of them make the playoffs. So there's only so many teams that are going to be out of it by the trade deadline. Eight of the teams make the playoffs. That's correct. Okay. We're going to get WNBA expansion sometime. I am optimistic about that. I don't know about the timeline, but I'm optimistic. All right. UW softball Huskies went five and zero in the Puerto Vallarta college challenge to open their season outscoring the opposition 47 to five. They beat the one ranked opponent, number nine, Arkansas eight, nothing. Hello. And 10, five in their two matchups. Gabby Plain started the first of those two throwing six shutout innings, had five shutout innings against Rutgers in her other start of the weekend, and then added two shutout innings in relief in the second win over Arkansas. Number two starter, Pat Moore threw six scoreless innings. That was encouraging. And in her UW debut on Thursday, true freshman designated player catcher Olivia Johnson went three for three with two home runs and a triple. Wow. She was then subsequently intentionally walked four times in a game. It just wouldn't even pitch to her. She finished the weekend seven of ten with three home runs and seven walks and was named MVP of the challenge in her first oh my collegiate God. softball appearance. Wow. I, as best I can tell, Olivia Johnson was not like a super notable recruit. I don't think she was even the Huskies' biggest recruit in this class. But she burst onto the scene and very excited to see where it goes from here. Oh, my God. So, I mean, that's... That kind of power in the middle of the lineup is just incredible. I was incredible. just looking for the scout page on Olivia Johnson, number <laughs> one recruit in the country. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much softball recruiting there is, there is out there. I Catcher can find slash a first base? What is designated player? That's like designated hitter? Yes. That's where she started on Thursday, at least. As this is as a true freshman? Correct. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, she and the rest of the Huskies will face some stiffer competition this weekend in Florida for the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational, facing number four Oklahoma State, number 14 Clemson, number 15 LSU, oh number 16 Tennessee, and unranked Texas Tech in a made-for-a-TV tournament that ESPN uh, helps put together. Those games will all be available through the ESPN family with three streaming on ESPN Plus, one each on SEC Network on Friday, ESPNU, I believe, on Sunday, although that that one's at like 7 a.m. Pacific, so uh, I, I may not catch all of that one. Wow. No commitment. Well, I think we're really going to learn something this weekend. I mean, For Ga- sure. Gabby playing, this is her senior season? I believe so. 
seems to me like this is Gabby Plain's national championship season. Oh, there you go. Right. Is this, this like Richard Sherman's defensive player of the year season? I mean, he should have been, right? He had some pretty clear perspectives on Matthew Stafford also. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I did agree with that, yes. Uh Gabby Plain in the first two starts has been zero ERA for the year, right? Yeah. We're going to see her against some really stiff competition across these games. And if she comes out of that with a very low ERA or a still zero ERA, like we're going to be talking, I don't know how, how much advanced stats they do in college <laughs> softball. Huskies did move up two spots, by the way, to number five. So those were not current rankings. They've moved ahead of Oklahoma State. I, I updated this on Monday. Oklahoma State is now numbers, down to number seven because they lost a game in their opening tournament. I think Gabby Plain is going to mow down these teams. Uh, I mean, I hope so. That would be great. Uh, everyone else, uh, let's see here. L- no, LSU dropped to 22. So some, some sizable changes in the rankings after the first weekend. And we'll also have a good, good sense of where Olivia Johnson is as well after this Exactly. Play. That's, that's going to be exciting to see. Uh, not as strong a weekend for UW women's basketball, which lost 70-59 to 59 on Friday versus USC at home, then 69-61 Sunday versus UCLA, dropping to 0-10 in Pac-12 play. Not looking super great for their chances. They're at home again this weekend, but against number 8 Arizona and our old friend Adia Barnes on Friday, and then Arizona State on Sunday. And now to UW men's basketball. <laughs> you say that like it's bad. Like, I, look, you know, they have made a remarkable habit here of amazing first game of the weekend and then just give that point differential entirely away in the second game of the weekend, even though this weekend's game was not on a Sunday. Uh, an 87-64 win on Thursday versus Arizona State. Again, their most lopsided since 2020, taking an early 39-19 lead and extending it from 11-27 to with an 18-2 run midway through the second half. Uh, they got four threes from Emmett Matthews Jr. on Thursday, three from P.J. Fuller, who started in place of the injured Dejon Davis. Terrell Brown Jr., as usual, led the way with 19 points, but all seven players who played at least 11 minutes scored at least six points in that game. So... That was a that was a really strong, probably the best game of the season, I think, for UW. You know, given Arizona State's a stronger opponent than Cal. So Saturday, I made the last minute decision again to uh, hop on StubHub and pick I up some tickets that. and go down to Heckad and try to sit as far as away as I could from be- people. Were there people was, there at this one? It was a lot harder to sit away from people yeah. this time than it was for the uh, Colorado game on a Thursday night. And for the first eight minutes of this game, hello. Uh, it was like like being up there for the UCLA game back my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. Case, Casey, Jason Capono, yes. not Casey Jacobson. No, no. Uh, the Michael Johnson game, as oh, I recall it, or the Brian Brown game, depending on your perspective. Yeah, we went to that one. Uh, Terrell Brown Jr., playing against his former team, Arizona, where he was last year before transferring, he was on fire, making all sorts of floaters, like the purest Hooper shit you could possibly imagine. <laughs> no threes, of course. Uh, outscored Arizona 16-11 through the under-12 media timeout as the Huskies led 25-11 at that point. And 25 to 11? Were you, yeah, did you pick? You were 20, the 26 is the first time I checked it. And the thought I had to myself, because I have a very short memory, is like, I didn't think the Huskies were going to win necessarily. But I was like, oh, hey, classic college scenario. The home underdog takes an early lead. The road team tries to fight back and come back to win it. And at least the Huskies aren't going to get blown out. Uh-huh. Those were the famous last words oh. I said to myself. I'm, I'm telling you, it's the same. I, I didn't say this about the Super Bowl. The second that I think to myself, 
holy shit, we're going to do this. That's, the, Bengals are, the Bengals are we now? That's the, the Bengals are we. They were we on Sunday. Look, I was in LA. All we's are off. <laughs> I guess that makes sense on some level. Uh, the Wildcats, as it turned out, were not rattled. They went on a 24-4 run to take the lead for good, then started the second half with a 13-2 run to ensure that it was never close again. Uh, despite Brett Terrell Brown Jr. scoring 29 points, the remaining Huskies combined for 39 on 12 of 38 shooting, went 3 of 17 on threes, and had, and this is an amazing stat, four assists in the game. And for a team that has thrived, this is a big reason why they got blown out, thrived on transition and getting running off of opponent steals, had just two against Arizona. So the Arizona went on to win this 92-68, the final, for the, in favor of the number four team in the country. It's, it's the same thing that whenever they lose these games, it's just three-point shooting. And Terrell Brown has been consistently great in every single one. They somehow can shoot very... I, I don't believe... You don't believe in three-point defense, do you? No. So you don't believe in three-point defense the same way that I don't believe in at least most coaching ability? <laughs> I don't know if I would say in the same way, but yes. The, for some reason, the Huskies shoot really badly from three against very good teams. Yeah. Like, if you look at the three-point percentage versus teams in the top half of the Pac-12 I mean, versus teams I in the bottom half of the Pac-12. How they, what they did in the non-conference schedule. They missed a lot of threes against the bad teams as well. But since, like, on Thursday against Arizona State, they didn't. But I'm saying if it was strictly a product of, if it was actually a product of the strength of competition, then I think it would reflect that in the non-conference when they were playing much easier teams. You think they've just gotten lucky in every single game against... I think it's just randomly worked out that way. And I mean, they don't shoot threes well in all of those games. It's just when they do shoot threes well, they actually blow teams out. I mean, there were four of 17 in that win that I attended against Colorado. There were four of 19 when they beat Cal at home. They're, they're mostly just a bad three-point shooter. They also went 10 of 23 in the Colorado loss, which was one of their lopsided losses. Huh, okay. So... There's a lot more bad shooting games in this in here than good ones. Three of eighteen against Northern Illinois. Let's check in on them. Uh, <laughs> oh God, there's a lot of red on there. <laughs> there is a lot of red on there. <laughs> they are now four and nine in conference play. Okay, that could be worse. That could be worse. Nice win at Ball State the other day. That was their. They now they did beat Kent State as well. So Kent State is almost ranked as high as UW and Kentucky. <laughs> Huskies still checking in at number 130 because even after the pair of blowouts, the Huskies' eight conference wins have come by a combined 78 points this season. Their five conference losses have now about come by a combined 101 points, but still fifth in the conference because Wazoo lost a pair of games Saturday and Monday. They lost to that Arizona State team that the Huskies had just blown out, which is pretty I mean, shocking. Arizona State looked awful against UW. And then to see the fact that they beat UCLA earlier in the week and beat Wazoo right after... Maybe they're exhausted. I think there could be something to do with that. But like, but they should have been even more exhausted Saturday in Pullman. They just didn't look like a competent team at all when UW played them. I agree. They looked very listless. Uh, that record will be test tested as the Huskies follow you a week later to L.A. to take on a pair of ranked teams. 
USC beat UCLA Saturday at the Galen Center, tying the Bruins for the second in the Pac-12. Both teams now 10-4. and Trojans were 12-0 in non-conference, have been pretty good against everyone but Stanford, who has beaten them twice. Uh, star Isaiah Mobley missed Sunday, Saturday's game with a broken nose, suffered the previous Saturday in a loss to Arizona. And uh, veteran Drew Peterson stepped up with a strong performance in that one. Trojans top 50 in both adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency. And if they get Mobley back, a huge front line when he teams with athletic six foot nine Chavez Goodwin. Saturday's loss was the third in four games for the Bruins after an 8-1 start to conference play, which included handing Arizona its lone conference loss at Poly Pavilion. They lost the rematch in Tucson, then in triple OT at Arizona State before bouncing back to win Tuesday at Stanford. Uh, it was a stunning Final Four run last year in McCronin's second season in Westwood. Has carried over UCLA top 20 at both ends of the court in adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency per Ken Palm. And number four uh, entered Saturday's game in avoiding turnovers, which bodes poorly for the Huskies and their penchant for steals. In happier news, Dejon Davis did say on KJR Tuesday he plans to return there this we weekend. You think this is going to be an 0-2 weekend? Yeah, over would be a, it would be a pretty shocking upset if they won either of these games on the road. I mean, Arizona State did beat UCLA, but that was at home. Uh, at some point during one of these games, what will not be a shocking upset is me thinking, holy shit, we're going to do this. And then two minutes later being like, uh, why did I think that? That's it always creeps in, and then immediately I hate that it crept in. Oh, yeah, but you can't control that. No, thought. you can't do it. You just think to yourself, wow, the Bengals just scored a crazy touchdown and then immediately picked off Matthew Stafford. Is that like, early? You thought? Or they kept, they kept getting stops. Right, just yeah, like by the fourth quarter, yeah, it was like stop after stop, and you're like, the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl, <laughs> right? It was like a thing that you didn't really Cam conceive. Akers is going to win the Bengals the Super Bowl? Uh, not Cam Akers, Sean, it's Sean McVay. McVay. Yeah. But it was like Sean McVay, like the I think the entire Rams, Aaron Donald might have actually retired <laughs> if they lost that game in, in the way that they lost that game. Like the Rams would have combusted. It would have been the best thing to have ever happened to the Seahawks, the Rams winning that Super Bowl. They don't even have players to overpay this offseason. No, they do. Not they really. Do. They don't have free agents, but they've got restructures to overpay. Okay. It's very plausible. By the way, we've got a quick update here on, on the Kraken from uh, Adam McGinnis on Twitter. Unsure where this belongs on the curse hierarchy, but Kraken picked Matty Beniers. We talked about last week with Ryan S. Clark that he was playing for Team USA. Best player on the ice tonight for USA. Almost clinched the game several times. One shot off the pipe, then didn't even get picked in the OT shootout. USA shutout in elimination <laughs> loss. Woof. So I don't know if that, I mean, that's good for the Kraken, but yeah, pretty bad for Team USA, apparently. Uh, if we haven't talked about the curse much recently. Just the Rams. Uh, the Rams win did win the Super Bowl <laughs> in front of the Russell Rams, Wilson and Roger Goodell. The Rams, whoa, we didn't, yeah, we, we didn't talk about that. Uh, and Odell Beckham Jr. did score a touchdown before his untimely it, injury. It seemed like that one, I think the injury kind of sort of made that fade away. <sighs> Lord, it's going to be so much fucking more of this. At least other teams, the, that's the thing is every team has to deal with it. We've definitely the the quarterback wars have begun. Oh, like yeah. I mean, quarterbacks are now every other position in the NFL is still the NFL. Quarterbacks are NBA. Quarterbacks are NBA superstars. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. You know, eventually we're going to get a James Harden situation. A quarterback just like tanking. <laughs> you know, going to their handpicked team and then immediately wanting out is the James Harden situation. <laughs> <Immediately>. <laughs> 
Uh, but but the last two champions in these sports have been the Portland Timbers and the Los Angeles Rams. Think about that. The Portland Timbers? Yeah, the Timbers won MLS Cup. You're, you, you've lost this information? I'm saying that rivals of the Seattle teams have won the last two major pro sports championships. Okay. You're put, can you put this together now? That might be cur- the curse. Well, the way that this, this Kraken situation plays in the curse is it gives them hope. <laughs> and hope is maybe the greatest curse of all, right? What do you have to say about hope? Uh, uh, the line from, from uh, Shawshank is, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Yeah, think about that, Kraken fans. All right, let's talk about the Seahawks, who finally announced their speaking 2002, of <laughs> speaking of 2022 and coaching staff on hope Tuesday. being a dangerous thing. Exactly. Uh, the defensive additions were reported last week. Sean Desai is Hello. joining the Seahawks with the title of associate head coach defense. Seahawks also hired former Vikings defensive back coach Carl Scott as their defensive passing game coordinator. Scott had worked in the same role at Alabama before spending one year with the Vikings under Mike Zimmer. Uh, Jake Heaps of ESPN Seattle reported that Desai was in demand, obviously, and got strong title, uh, salary, and assurances from Pete Carroll that he'll have an important role in defensive game planning. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he got that in writing. (laughs) Yeah, he got it in writing like there was a good faith to keep the team in Seattle document. It's it's part of the contract, a thing that is (laughs) totally undefinable. Hope he got that in writing. Uh, his addition, Oklahoma City, never heard of it. His, oh yeah, 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 big role, big role in molding the defense. I'm a man possessed. Uh, his addition became more important <laughs> after the Vikings hired Ed Donatel as defensive coordinator under their new head coach Kevin O'Connell, who I believe was introduced on Tuesday. Uh, so Donatel not obviously joining the Seahawks. More important for them to bring in Desai. The two additions bring the Seahawks youth Scott's 36 and Desai is 38. Both younger than me, so what am I doing with my life? New schematic perspectives. Uh, Scott's known for his use of match coverages similar to what the Huskies used under Jimmy Lake that offer schematic flexibility between man and zone in terms of your, uh, your, your defensive coverages. So you add that to sort of the Vic Fangio elements with Desai and uh, Clint Hurt is being promoted to defensive coordinator and definitely, you know, I think offer some hope, yes, that Pete Carroll is going to be evolving his defense. It's it's a really fun fun thought, and that's why it's terrible. <clears throat> it's definitely off season talk. But th- the reality is, I mean, you could look at this. You could delude yourself into thinking that Pete Carroll recognized that the defense, the defense that he had a strong hand in molding, didn't play as well as he wanted them to last year. Same with the offense, and that Pete Carroll finally, at age seventy nine. How old is he? <laughs> I believe he is 71. He finally got it. At age 71, P. Carroll was like, I'm just going to oversee everything. We're going to let the experts in their particular fields handle those 70. areas. He's, he's 70. And then we will get to week two of the season. They might go through a whole offseason, a whole training camp, a whole preseason, expecting this to be the case. But the second that Pete Carroll sees something that doesn't agree with him personally, it'll all be finished. He'll fix it. He'll fix it. Yeah. And that's why these hirings are 
really exciting and ultimately do not matter. Unless for some reason Legion of Boom comes back and <laughs> they sign Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill this offseason. In their prime. Uh, additional, dr- surprisingly dramatic degree of change on offense uh, that you know, just came together in the, the last staff. week. I mean, we knew that there was going to be a lot of change on defense. This kind of came together in the last week. On Friday, the Seahawks fired offensive line coach Mike Solari. He was replaced by run game coordinator Andy Dickerson, who had the title of assistant offensive line coach with the Rams before following Shane Walter into Seattle. The Seahawks then used that open spot to bring back Sanjay Lal to their coaching staff as wide receiver coach and offensive passing game coordinator. He had been a senior offensive assistant in 2020 before spending last year with the Jaguars as wide receiver coach. Lal's UW graduate who was on the roster for the 1991 National Championship after transferring from UCLA. Oh, wow. He's kind of old. Yeah, he's been an NFL assistant since 2007. Uh, With Lal's return, Nate Carroll moved from wide receiver coach to senior offensive assistant. Running back coach Chad Morton added the title of offensive run game coordinator, while Dave Canales will replace Austin Davis as QB coach, and then other promotions for former Seahawks Aaron Curry, Kerry Joseph, Deshaun Shedd, and Will Tukuafu, as well as former NFL player Damian Lewis and Brad Idzik, who is wow, that's uh, part a of the lot coaching of staff. Former Seahawks who are in the mix there. A, a surprising number. What are they doing? <laughs> Assistants. Uh, let me let me pull up the line the uh, titles for all of them. I I. Didn't say what they changed from because I, I got to admit, I'm not sure what their titles were. I didn't know that any of them previously. were on the staff, so I thought Will Tuguafu might have still been on the team. <laughs> no, they, they only Did have they one. they move him to defensive line this last year? They only have one fullback left on the roster. Uh, Tuguafu's quality control defense. Deshaun Shedd, assistant defensive back coach. Uh, Damian Lewis, assistant defensive line, defensive tackle. Uh, Aaron Curry, assistant defensive line, defensive end. I miss anyone in there? Kerry Joseph. Kerry Joseph, assistant QB coach. Assistant QB coach? Yeah. Not CB? Yeah. Ah, all right. I so. like that. Well, that's nice. I think they're all keep getting some checks. I mean, it's good to have former players involved, certainly. Uh-huh. So. To talk about why running the ball up the middle is important. Oh. You got to have people there to carry your water for you. I mean, I guess... Look, we knew that there was going to be a degree of change after the Seahawks didn't make the playoffs. And whether that came internally from Pete Carroll's desire to change or external pressure from Jody Allen and, and Burt Coldy and, and Vulcan crew that, look, we're, you're not in trouble, but you can't just run back to the same group. Uh-huh. You have to shuffle all your coordinators around. So they're, and, they're, and, they were like, shuffle everybody around. And the Austin Davis move we knew was separate, although yeah. he ended up leaving the Auburn uh, offensive coordinator job due to personal reasons. So, but this is still a greater degree of change than I expected from the I, Seahawks coaching staff. This I mean, offseason. I guess so. But like, again, look, maybe the shit mattered, but like, we're talking about positions that I feel like the amount of people, I mean, these positions probably didn't even exist two decades ago. In there football. are a lot more assistant coaches than they used to. I don't think the change is as dramatic as in basketball, where staffs have like tripled in the last twenty years, but it's still they've still grown. Oh, it's a, uh, an offensive display of wealth that is happening. That teams can just hire whomever they want, right? Like they're just like we have so much money, we could hire thousands of assistants, right? There, there's an endless pool of money going around for them to hire. Just if people want to be around Aaron Curry and Kerry Joseph and Deshaun Shedd and Will Tukwafu, then sure, we can give them a job. 
pay them how many hundreds of thousands? Whatever. It does not matter because it's obscene, the display of wealth that exists around the NFL. And at the same time, none of the shit matters. Like, and maybe on a tiny, tiny scale, these position coaches do ultimately matter. But like, when you're talking about what that coaching has to flow up through to the point of it actually making an impact on the field, I think it's really difficult to see. I mean, the one thing that irks me is like people will say, well, like, is this a good hire or not? And look, obviously we're going to a lot of times give the context of, you know, if you're hiring Sean Desai, how good was the Bears defensive DVOA, which I think we've talked about in the past. We didn't, we didn't talk about it this way. But to like say, oh, this is a good coordinator or a bad coordinator, and then bigger yet to go to, this is a good coach of a position group or not, <laughs> like it's way more about the players than it is about the coach. I hate to break it to you. Bears are 13th in DVOA. No, it was, I mean, shockingly good, all things considered. I think you got to give the Bears a lot of credit. I freaking love the Sean Desai hire. And, you know, maybe he is somebody who organizationally is kind of on the move. You know, he could hypothetically be, if Pete were to retire, somebody who could be a replacement for him. I don't know if I'd be happy to see that. But it's awesome for Sean Desai. And he, I'd seem to, I like Sean Desai. Yeah. So. As I said, I think I, did I said this on Twitter and a podcast. All those hours I spent watching the Bears in preseason for Justin Fields paid off because I heard a lot of talk about Sean Desai taking over as defensive coordinator. I am well versed in his background now. His lone season as defensive coordinator of the Bears. Couldn't even, do you think he was offered a defensive coordinator job this year and ended up choosing this position instead? No, I doubt he was offered a defensive coordinator job. I mean, you know, he was in the running for some of these jobs that went elsewhere. So if he was just like, I'm going to take the Seahawks job over that, I think he would not have been in the running. He wouldn't have been interviewing for those jobs. But I think there would have been other similar positions elsewhere on teams, perhaps with a less defensive-minded head coach. I, I do think if you're Sean Asai to a certain extent, like this is maybe the best job to take because you can't specifically get blamed for anything. <laughs> Right? It's it's so general that if stuff goes well, you can get 100% of credit. But if stuff goes bad, there's specific people to blame. There's a defensive coordinator to blame, right? You've got Pete, the defensive coordinator, the individual position coaches. It's very general. I'd also recommend uh, on the Athletic Seattle, third Paul brother Mike Sean Dugar did a piece talking to players and, and coaches who have worked with these newcomers and, and Clint Hurt, who is getting promoted to defensive coordinator. I thought it was a really interesting thing. I forget which defensive lineman it was that said this, but uh, you know, one of the Seahawks defensive linemen mentioned that what they liked about Clint Hurt was that he had a view that went beyond just the defensive line, but it was also how the coverages fit into what the defensive line is doing and how kind of the whole defense works together, which is the sort of big picture thinking I think you're going to need if you're moving into a defensive coordinator position. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I like all these coaches. So, yeah, but this is the kind of thing we talk about in February uh -huh. and then in October, it probably, probably nobody is going to be all that worried about They'll the They'll get roasted Carl by the Vikings. Scott Vikings will be like, Desai! <laughs> I mean, people were talking about that. I don't know who the the secondary coach was who was out in that Vikings game. And they were like, that's why <laughs> that, that did come up. Andre Curtis was Andre the, Curtis. Yes. I just love the idea that Andre Curtis not being there was like make or break for the team. I mean, they did play especially poorly in that. It was Cliff Averill who said that by the way, and, and compared it to Dan Quinn who went from oh. defensive line to defensive coordinator. Yeah. Who would be surprised that a defensive lineman would think that, <laughs> but in terms of like having that holistic perspective, yes, no, I, I trust Cliff Averill.
KJ Wright had some positive things to say about Clint Hurd as well on that podcast. Oh, I think Clint, I mean, from everything that Mike Sean has said, he's very well liked in the staff. And I think they probably had to offer him this position to keep him here. It seemed like the, al- the allure of the Mario Cristobal Miami job uh, was pretty strong. And, you know, we all know that Mario Cristobal will probably be fired within the next two years. So uh, seeing how good of a coach he is. Uh, we need to get fired. At, he didn't get fired in Oregon. He, he left of his own volition. You know what's up with Mario Cristobal? I think that Mario Cristobal is going to be successful at Miami. I do not believe that. I mean, I believe that Mario Cristobal somehow made Justin Herbert look like a bad quarterback. I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, yeah, I I wouldn't go that far. Uh, I did look up how many days there were until the NFL draft, though. How many? 72 days. There you go. Yeah. Look forward to those. Wouldn't the Seahawks have more than two draft picks this year? It's, 70, it's 73 days until the Seahawks make a pick. <laughs> 72 days until the draft starts. 73 days for the Seahawks. On that note. Oh, thanks for listening. Thanks.